welcome to Everything You Need Is Within, a Spotify Greenroom live audio show and podcast produced by and for Gen Z. With me, your host, Gigi Robinson. Hello, everybody. It is me, Gigi, your host, and I am going to be coming at you with another episode of Everything You Need Is Within a Gen Z-focused podcast about all things current events, but mainly the goal is to give you the tools that you need to get through basically any difficult situation. We're here to address privilege. We're here to talk about post-traumatic growth. And in today's episode, we are actually going to be talking about our thoughts on the pandemic and how it has affected us, predominantly because we're the ones that experienced the pandemic while we were in school. I feel like this was definitely one of the more difficult years of my education, but at the same time, I had a lot of awakenings, I think, that were very helpful to me in my journey as a student and as an author. And I will definitely be jumping into that. Um, I would also first and foremost in the first, you know, minute and a half of this episode, like to address the the privilege and honor that I've had to be able to uh, attend a university and to be able to graduate from high school, because I know not everybody has that experience. But my hope is that you can apply this somehow to your life Um, or to your job if you're in the position to work remotely, because that is what this episode will primarily be about. Throughout the episode, feel free to ask questions down in the comments below, and I can answer them towards the end. So without further ado, let's get into it. Gen Z is a generation that grew up with technology. We grew up using it pretty much since the second we were born. I'm pretty sure we had access to TV the second we were born, and then they started making interactive learning devices for us. They also made um, Game Boys, was like pretty early on in my life from what I remember. And that was something I think I took for granted up until the past year, because it was, again, something I grew up with. Um, There was nothing inherently different or strange about growing up with technology. Um, Obviously, now that I'm older, I acknowledge, again, the huge privilege living in the United States, having access to a large amount of, again, like money, resources, um, and energy within the education that I've received. But ultimately... It's been something that, you know, my dad could come to me a couple of years ago and just give me his phone and just be like, I don't know what to do. You know, I'd figure out in a second. Technology is so second nature to so many of us because, again, we grew up with it. So this past year, although it was challenging, I think we got to a point where we inevitably were headed that way. We were headed to a place where technology is going to be how we communicate, whether that's with work, whether that is with um, you know, partners, whether that's education. I think that it is going to be something that's, you know, it was inevitably going to happen. I just think that the rate at which it happened was much quicker than any of us had anticipated. And as the change makers that we are, we adapted really quickly to this change. And with that, I think it, it all shocked the, the, okay, the past year has shocked like a lot of us. But I, I think it was like a good shock, again, because it was going to happen anyway. And For me specifically, I believe that it forced me to figure out who my real friends were, what my real relationships were with people, and also to spend time at home with the people that I grew up with, which, again, 
acknowledging all of that because I understand that not everybody has that luxury to be in a safe environment when they're home. And I had so much extra fear around this pandemic, not only because, you know, I would be alone and isolated. I think that was difficult for a majority of us. But on top of that, I had to deal with my chronic illness. I was coming out of a semester where I had a medically reduced course load because my condition was really flaring up and I was having a lot of difficulty completing my schoolwork, my assignments, going to events, managing all of the things that I essentially signed up for. And I came home, basically just had to pick all of that up again. My internship was canceled. My doctors were completely remote. So it was like really not helpful considering three of them were different therapy appointments. Um, And it was just so difficult to all of a sudden just be placed at home and not have access to that or have access to any of my friends because they all live at home with older people or they were, you know, still on campus, which was an interesting choice. In my opinion, I got on the first flight home once they closed the university, but being chronically ill made me so cautious. I don't think I really took my mask off until I was fully vaccinated in March. Um, the my second my once I was like fully vaccinated was like March 28th. So that was only a couple of months ago. But I was really just scared to even see my friends. And I was really scared to even like go to the grocery store, go to a restaurant. I obviously got very used to not wearing my mask outside around people Um, after I was fully vaccinated. I felt a lot better, but I don't really want to like tell you more about, you know, my specific story with with this pandemic. I want to talk about kind of like the relationship that I think we need to address here with the way that everything went being virtual versus you know, all of that being taken away, maybe that's in three months, maybe that's six months, maybe that's like a year from now. But to think that, you know, a year and a half ago, we did not have any real work from home um, mandates, we didn't have any remote learning mandates, if you were sick, there were no real accommodations for people. And I was honestly a bit pissed off at first. Um, I was pissed off, first of all, at the universities for not being flexible with their tuition. I get it. You sign the contract when you go into university or into like school and you're like, yep, this is what I agree to. This is what I agree to pay. And this is what I'm here to do, to learn. You're paying to learn. And uh, yeah, I just, you came home and they're like, yep, It's going to be the same amount of tuition, whether you are home or whether you are in person. And I went to the University of Southern California. Again, I know a very like, uh, I don't even know what what to call it. Just it's a very um, pretentious kind of school. And I, um, I, I always try to acknowledge that because it's, something that, you know, people are always like, oh, university spoiled children. I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's it. But I did work my ass off to get there. Um, In actually last week's episode, I talked about my whole portfolio process and everything about that. But going to that school at the rate of which it is, um, scholarship or, you know, grants or whatever kind of situation, or even like full tuition, it's absolutely obscene. I think the student debt's obscene. And I think we need to, you know, Gen Zers are very, we have, we have our plans here, which I'm not going to be getting into this episode. But I was outraged when they told us we could not, whether we moved back to Los Angeles for the fall or spring, that nothing would be in person and we still had to pay the same price. Um, It was definitely really difficult. And as somebody who pays back like student loans every, actually, well, 
COVID like made it suspended. So I don't know who mandated that, but the interest on loans was suspended, which I think was great, but I don't know how long that's going to last. So I have just put a lot of what I've made into that again. I don't think student loans are good. I don't think the high tuition for schools are good. Not the point of the episode. The point is that we had the opportunity to, I think, take control of a situation where in the past, like I spent all of my fall semester of 2019 so desperately trying to stay afloat. But had I been given the option to zoom into that class or like take the class remotely um, or submit my my papers remotely, that who knows, would I have been burnt out? Would I have exacerbated myself so bad to the point where like I was in the hospital like a couple times a week? Like, I really don't know the answer to that. But in this past year, if there's anything I think a lot of other disabled students would request would be that universities take our needs more seriously and pay attention to when we're struggling and believe us when we say it, regardless of if you can see it or not. Number one. Number two, make these online accommodations that you so willingly, so willingly dropped on all students because of a public health risk, make those available if somebody needs them. Um, if not, it's inherently ableist. And that's a whole other situation that I think we have to tackle and that Gen Z is definitely working on in terms of equality overall, whether that is with gender, whether that's racial equality, whether that um, is a disability equality in general. So that is high up on our agenda. The other thing I think this past year has really forced us to look into a bit more is like, how can we transition our life that we've lived the past year from URL now into IRL, like in real life right now? So that is what I personally am struggling with, especially around the topics of, I would say dating has been particularly difficult for me because I'm not sure what kind of boundaries I should and shouldn't accept with the same thing with friends too. I'm like, okay, like I really do want to see you, but I'm not exactly sure if I can because I know that you've been partying and I'm like a little bit nervous. So like, what are, what are your situations? Could we go to a park? Do you want to hang out like in your backyard? Do we want to like go out to a restaurant? Um, a friend of mine invited me out to this uh, music release party that she had. Her name's Jordan Rose. She's one of my besties. So go follow her at Jordan Rose Music. She's not on here. So I don't know. She's going to see this not or later. But we went out and we ended up going to a bar. And this was like literally the first time I had set foot in a bar since probably October of 2019. Again, I did not go out at all in the fall of 2019 or beginning of 2020 because I was so sick. And so going out and seeing like all of these people was definitely a real shock to me. It was a real wake up call that a lot of young people are ready to like go out and get at it again, whatever that means for them. I think it's going to be different. There's people there that were wearing their masks, including myself. Um, and then there are people that were just super fearless in just not wearing their masks, you know, hanging out right up close next to people. I don't know how many people are uncomfortable by that right by now, but I am still uncomfortable by it. And I think it's going to take me a lot more time to be okay with even going out. But I also think it's really interesting. So I actually got sober and I stopped drinking as my New Year's resolution for 2021. And this came from a bunch of different things, but it's been really interesting to get back into because people want to go out for happy hours and people want to um, just like go out and have a drink, What whether that's like for brunch, lunch, dinner, bar night out. And I think nothing against anybody who wants to use alcohol. Like I think it's very fun 
it was amazing during college for me. Um, and I definitely want to say to everybody listening, drink responsibly, of course. But the past year just made me realize like, okay, I, I think that I just need to take a pause and see how this actually makes me feel when I'm out. And it makes me feel really vulnerable a lot of the time. And I think vulnerability is great, but obviously not when you're in a mind altered state some of the time. So I gave up alcohol. And since alcohol is a very social thing to do for a lot of young people, I've just found it really difficult to go out and socialize again. Um, I'm more of like the kind of girl that you want to like go out on a picnic with or go to like the beach for the day or an amusement park. Like I'm very, uh, I don't, I don't know. I think I would say that's like activities driven versus party driven and to each their own. But, and I think also like Gen Zers have been really great in honoring other people's ability or interest in doing things. But I find it so interesting how, a majority of people are like, oh, yeah, let's just like go out for a drink. And I'm like, I don't even drink. Like, it's like this really interesting, awkward thing. But I'm also uncomfortable by even like the thought of going out to a bar again. I don't think I'm going to do that for a long time. Chronic illness, COVID, not my my cup of tea. So that is kind of like my first thoughts on being a student during the pandemic. I also thought that it was incredibly difficult to manage friendships this past year. And I think that that one was probably like the biggest lesson that I had. I don't know how many people here listening right now have experienced a loss. And I, a good friend of mine, um, had mentioned to me because I was like you know what wow that's like such a coincidence like things happen for a reason she's like you know what it's not a coincidence like there's reasons why people come into your life at certain points in time and there's also reasons why they leave um I'm a firm believer that you can outgrow people and outgrow friendships it it has happened to me a lot of times I love all of my friends sincerely and I think it's just, a, it's, it's a very difficult thing. And I don't think we talk about the loss of friendship enough. I don't know if anybody has related to that more <laughs> than I have, but that it, losing friends has been something I've dealt with a lot of the time. And, and I don't know exactly um, what the true answer to wrapping your head around the loss of a friendship should be. I'm also just going to pause and take some water. So if you're listening, you know what time it is. Don't forget, let's, let's hydrate together. I always like to do these little hydration breaks one or two times in my shows because it's very important to stay hydrated. <laughs> so, yeah, I think in college, I mean, unfortunately, I a lot of the friendships that I had, a couple were classic instances of like real misunderstandings of people and just bad roommate situations and I feel like we've somewhat dealt with that at some point but others are just these kind of slow and steady breakups with somebody you shared so many memories with and that has really been very difficult and very present for me throughout the pandemic. I think a lot of it comes with your own personal awareness and the awareness of what your purpose is, your true purpose. And if, you, if you're not sure what your purpose is, there's an exercise I talk about all the time in my social media literacy lectures where I call it the big why. And essentially you jot down like, oh, why is the work that you do important? Or if you want to get super granular, why is your podcast important? Or why is your your business important? Why is your job important? And you write down what that is. And then after you have that first tagline of what, what you think is important, you ask yourself again, so why is that so important? And so on and so forth. So I do that about like seven to 10 times usually, but I mean, I guess you could keep going in circles and circles. But for me, it gives me 
these pillars of my personal like life and identity uh, that make up my value system, I think, that really help me understand holistically who I am and why I do the things that I do, who I do them for, why I work within the nonprofit space on social media, why I host spaces like this to talk about uh, seemingly difficult topics. And I think that it's just so important to do this every like year or every couple of years, because if you look at your values now, they may change in a year. Um, They may have changed in the past year. And that was Again, the biggest thing that I think I realized because some of my values changed and I learned how to set boundaries and setting boundaries, again, is not like this selfish thing that you're doing. Um, Ultimately, you have this one life and if you need to function a certain way and you need things done a certain way for your business and for your mental health, then you need to stick with that. Um, obviously, do this in an important and uh, respectful way. Don't be a jerk about it. I think a lot of times people think boundary setting is just about people either copping out of a situation or, you know, just completely saying like, mm, no, I want to do it my way because my way is the highway, you know, my way is the best way or otherwise like beat it. And those kinds of people and those kinds of thoughts are definitely problematic but when you're doing it with an intention in mind for example back to the drinking situation I'm out here like hey I am not really feeling too well I know if as much as I love you and respect you friend I personally Gigi have a chronic illness that is very debilitating and if I overextend myself I'm going to be miserable for the next three days And that's going to put me out of three days of work and three days of my time and energy that I know would be better used somewhere else to do the work and to fulfill my true purpose. Um, Obviously, you don't need to like say this to your friend. I think if I actually said that to one of my friends, they might look at me and be like, uh, Gigi, are you (laughs) are you doing okay, friend? Um, But ultimately, if you can figure out a way to have a conversation like this with a friend of yours I think it's really important um back to the whole thing about dating I would say I've definitely had to set up some boundaries there because in the past there have been some not so great things that I have experienced unfortunately and it's put me in a position where I have to be ultra aware of who I'm letting into my life and who I'm putting energy into. Um, It also has to do with the fact that having a chronic illness on top of this is something that I'm going to be dealing with likely for the rest of my life. There's no cure to Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, unfortunately. And there's only things that you can do to manage it, again, like, not going out to party at night, going to bed early, waking up, doing my water aerobics, you know, keeping it, keeping it real here. And that can be really difficult because a lot of the time, um, believe it or not, some of the answers when I have been on these apps has been like, oh, like I, I'm super upfront about this, right? So like back to the boundaries. I don't want to like get into something with somebody, lead somebody on, and then dump this kind of big news on them that like, hey, I actually have this debilitating illness that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life. So I am upfront. I'm like, hey, new person that I potentially interested in. I have this chronic condition. I talk about it on social media. Social media is also my career, which, by the way, has also been a very interesting thing to speculate and to conversate about with a new person, particularly some particularly somebody that is not interested in people doing social media. I've had people uh, before just kind of tell me like, oh, yeah, like, I don't really care. Like, social media sucks. Like, whatever. Like, you do you, girl. Like, I'm not into you. So I'm like, okay, cool. That's nice. Goodbye. 
Um, but ultimately, you're looking for somebody that's like a true partner that's going to be there no matter what. So there's other times where I'm like, yeah, like I have this chronic condition. And these people, I mean, you guys, you would not believe the things that some of them would say, or maybe you would. But to me, I am just dumbfounded. And it makes me want to avoid dating even more on top of the pandemic. I'm like, if somebody's not willing to meet me over like FaceTime or over like a video call or a phone call even, why would I meet them in real life? Like, ew, that's weird, first of all. Second of all, um, I don't understand. Like when I say this, some guys are literally like, well, best of luck. Or like, I am so sorry that like I deal with this chronic illness, which I understand maybe where they're coming from. But I think coming out of the pandemic, people just need to overall be more respectful of people with disabilities and understand that a lot of the accommodations down to dating, even doing something virtually should have existed before the pandemic um, within the app. You know, I may not want to give let's just call this, you know, person A, I don't want to give them my phone number until I know they're not like a serial killer. Like I want to FaceTime them first to make sure. And I don't know why this didn't exist before. But to me, it comes down to, again, inherent, inherent ableism stuck in society. And I don't know who is going to dictate that kind of conversation in the future. But I hope that it is Gen Z and millennials and any ally of Gen Z, I would say, and anybody interested in helping not only fight towards gender and racial equality, but also equality for disabled people in our rights, because it is definitely very, very, uh, I don't. I don't know if trauma is the right word here. It's very just difficult to deal with as a 23 year old woman. I also have definitely put myself out there. Like if you know me from any of my social pages or you've come to any of my speeches or my shows, you would know that I'm somebody that is very open about body image, mental health, chronic illness and inequality on my pages and fighting for Um, dismantling all of those and I think that it just becomes that much more difficult when I do put it all out there and despite that people in a way think they're like special and they might get special treatment from me for you know not doing their research maybe I'm not even sure what the logic is behind it all I know is it doesn't work And I would love to just see some major shifts in the way that people respect not only women, but again, people with all disabilities, because it just, it breaks my heart, especially knowing that this is not just a me thing. This is something I have bonded with some amazing friends over the past year about online. And fortunately, now in person, I Uh, Now that I'm, again, vaccinated, my friend and I, we were able to get together in the city. Her name's Izzy Kornblau. She's another Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome patient and uh, genetics counselor in training. And she is, um, you know, she's just like a very genuine person. And it was really interesting to me because I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to go meet this person who I've been talking with, like, for a year, we've like FaceTimed, we have a very parallel story with our conditions why is it so you know bizarre to just go meet a different stranger if I'm like dating them um or why is it so anxiety induced uh when I go to meet people at like a bar or something like that and I think part of it just comes down to some of the unfortunate situations I was in during college as well as some of I think my own um my own struggle in letting go of control. And I would say I'm also a type A kind of person. So I like to know what I'm doing. I like to have a plan. I like to have notes. I like to have everything lined up that I talk about and I research thoroughly. It's something, it's just, you get the gist here. But in 
thinking about starting something with somebody, I think in a way I kind of like push them away and I challenge them up front because I don't want to give up control in my life, um, especially around like my heart. And if you're listening and you're somebody that has had relationship difficulty, I would say that it's extremely important to acknowledge like what it is that maybe is troubling you. Yes, it's some of the people that you are attracting, but you're attracting them for a certain reason. I will not be sharing at least right now about what I have gone through because for me it was somewhat traumatic and I'm still processing it, but I might talk about it in the future because I think it provides a lot of insight into the way that I have relationships with people and the way that I defend myself um, in those kinds of romantic situations. Um, And that said, I think, especially within the past year, a lot of people have either resorted to just wanting, you know, attention from people. Again, totally fine. We live in a society where like, that's totally chill. It was chill in the 80s. It's chill now. Like, you know, we got this. But I personally am like, I would say more of like the monogamist person. And I don't know why there is also a lot of, uh, how should I say this? Uh, I think misogyny and sexism within um, our education systems and also not really teaching us kind of how to be respectful and how to lead with gratitude and compassion and empathy. So I know other Gen Zers have um, that I've spoken to have had some difficulty with this because they grew up behind this the screen. So I was I was I'm 23 now, so I'm like at the I'm like an elder Gen Zer in comparison to you know the elder millennial idea, but. These other kids, you know, they grew up with tablets in their hand at the age of one so that they stopped crying. So how is that generation going to actually act with people in real life? You know, Um, a lot of their personalities and a lot of the things that they will, I think, be doing in real life will be based off of things that they're consuming online. This also feeds into a lot of the work that I do in social media literacy, where we're looking specifically at the content that we consume and how it affects our mental health and how that manifests physically in real life. So when you're looking at that, um, I just think I think. I mean, if you have any younger person in your life, obviously monitor the content that they're consuming, but monitor the content you're consuming. Um, A lot of the times I sit back and I'm like following these influencers and I'm like, wait a second, like, I like their style, but they're also not doing anything to save the environment. So like, wow, what's going on here? This is not aligned with, again, back to my why who I am, what I do, what I believe in. So why am I engaging in that if it's just going to make me feel upset and sad? So typically, I, if it's a friend, <laughs> I usually just mute their account and I don't look at it, which is totally fine to do. Do what you got to do to have a healthy boundary with social media. Do not let you know social media's perspectives Um, Or do not let your personal perspective on mental health, physical health, wellness, um, you know, and your own your own view of yourself and your confidence be influenced by social media. I feel like a lot of times people can't figure out how to compartmentalize their relationship. And that is part of the biggest problem with social media. But ultimately, these younger kids are being fed what a relationship should be, or they're being fed stories about perfect, uh, you know, first experiences, for example, the first kiss, this is how it should be. The first time you, you know, lose your virginity, this is how it should be. And it's really glamorized in a way. And I think that that's extremely dangerous, because once you experience it in real life, you're almost like inadequately prepared, but also maybe unsatisfied because you're like, it was supposed to be this fairy tale moment according to, 
you know, a Cinderella story or according to like a high school musical, but it just does not happen that way. On the kind of adverse and maybe more dark side of this, we don't talk about consent and sexual education far enough. I think a lot of what we may or may not see in the upcoming months now that people are kind of like getting back into it and getting together again, we may see some interesting trends with like, I don't know, I feel like a little weird saying it, but I think it could happen with like STDs and really interesting short term relationships. I'm really taking a turn here. I was not expecting this to be like this tonight, but it's okay. We got this. I love the spontaneity. And I think a big part of this is also that we've been inside watching all of these like crazy shows in the past year. You know, we watch Bridgerton. We don't talk about like the assault and like the lack of consent there. We have been watching, you know, the Queen's Gambit. She's got this like kind of effed up relationship with like her friend that's like her coach and then they're like together um then we've also got you know just a bunch of all of these other shows and they're not talking enough about what to do when you get yourself in a bad situation and in the future I'll definitely be bringing on a guest about this and like how to talk about this where to seek help for, uh, mentally uh, professionally and and like physically if you do find yourself in a precarious dangerous situation but I just find and I'm worried that all of the next generation of people are going to grow up in a little bit of a dissatisfied and kind of like uh, you know just like jaded view of what real life experiences should be um and it's very frightening to me it's definitely very frightening and I hope that there's going to be more education about this in the near future whether that goes down to creating children's books about you know maybe like sexuality and like gender there's also like a bunch of books that exist about that already so I think people need to be introducing those at a young age to people instead of tablets but I also think that there can be films about this um I know this past year there was also uh Soul came out did uh, Pixar's Soul and I think that that was a great one because it was about the afterlife um it had a really creative and in my opinion like heartwarming touch on what that could look like and to a young kid I think that's that's the beauty of these animation studios and why I think they're so successful. It has to do with like the storytelling. So if we lean more into storytelling, whether that's on social media or whether that's in all of these movies and these TV series that we're making, I think that it is possible that some, some kind of way that eventually maybe people will be able to cope better with difficult difficult things for lack of better words um on that note it's time to hydrate people so drink your water (laughs) also if you have any questions at all please slide them down into the comments i want to answer them um also if you have like a quick question that you want to like come up and ask I usually like to leave the last like 20 to 15 minutes for comments and questions um, so I can have real dialogues with you on ways that either you see Gen Z or the way that Gen Z will be going in the future I know it's definitely like a little bit of a learning curve here getting into our weekly groove this is only episode four but Thank you to all my friends there in the audience. I see you. I appreciate you. I love you. And um, I think there's a couple more um, things that I just want to talk about relating to comfort zone before we log off tonight. But please just raise your hand if you want to come up on the stage and just like ask a question at any time. I guess I'm going to need to get a water sponsor for my show. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so. Getting back into it, how can we take all of the difficult things that we've experienced in the past year, whether that has led us to be more patient 
whether that's led us to be more vocal about things we believe in, whether that has forced us to be more selfish with what we need from others and what we need in the workplace and in our personal life. I think it's forced us to get out of our comfort zone for so long at least for me, at the ripe age of 23, I had not really voiced, I think, my true purpose, my meaning. I had not been intentional with anything that I was really doing aside from just kind of like going around here and there, like doing jobs, doing internships, uh, you know, jumping into clubs, jumping into organizations in college. I was the kind of person that, again, type A, took advantage of everything, was on an e-board, was always in office hours, was always turning my papers in ahead of time. Like, I was a little bit of a nut job. In grad school, I will say it's a bit difficult for me to manage uh, my time management. I'm also writing my book, which was a very spontaneous decision that I made this year. And that book is specifically going to be about what it is like living as a chronically ill patient, pandemic aside, but it's going to be this, I think, collection of stories and thoughts and patterns that teachers should recognize and honor. That's not the point of this conversation, but it is forcing me to get out of my comfort zone. I like to call myself on my own shit all the time. Um, Maybe sticking to a schedule where I have carved out like four to five hours a week to write my book is scary for me. And that's why I haven't exactly done it. And I've just kind of pushed it off and I've been in the real research ideation phase. But I really need to stick to it and start talking more about my book and I need to write more about my book. I'm holding myself to it now. So if you're listening, I want you to write something down that's like super scary to you right now. And I'm going to hold you to it. So you could DM it to me on Instagram. Um, Eventually, I'm going to be featuring all your DMs like on my pages and things like that. So I have big plans for this. Another thing would obviously be starting this show. Um, I am so, so excited about being here and being able to hold a space for people who want to learn about what the next generation's thoughts are on a variety of things, but also like just to even be able to have a space where I can express myself as a disabled woman has been really special and exciting and scary at the same time. But again, I appreciate all of you right here, right now, um, listening and doing this intentionally with me. I think the first step, which also goes into my social media literacy lectures of jumping out of your comfort zone, is acknowledging where you're at right now, doing that self audit, understanding fundamentally what you believe in, not just like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I believe that like, we should save the turtles. So I don't use you know, a plastic straw. Like, what? what is the real reason? What are the facts? Do you know anything outside of that? Um, I personally eat plant-based and I, um, you know, what's my why there? Well, part of it is that I do have a good friend and for me socially, like, I I, I agree with ending animal cruelty. I, I think um, we should get certainly, like, human equality down first. But shortly after, I, I'm, I'm going to say that I think we should fight for animal equality outwardly. I really believe in it. I, I've seen some of these videos that my friend has like filmed herself. And it, her name is J-Lo Kurtz, Miss Jamie Logan. And she is one of my good, good friends. And she is actually somebody who I have been friends with since high school. And she inspired me in the first place. She, she pushed her... Her boundary was, I'm not going to eat meat at the same place as you. So if you want to hang out with me, we have to go to a vegan restaurant, right? And that was a boundary that, like, I respected. So come come a year later, um, she's only been vegan a couple years, but I'm like, Jane, I'm really scared about, like, you know, going out. I know you're still going to, like, 
you know, film these things, you're going to your uh, activations where you're like talking about animal rights and everything. And I'm just like not in a place where I feel comfortable hanging out with you. And I think the most beautiful thing about our friendship was that didn't matter. We could still FaceTime, we could have phone calls, we could text. And um, again, acknowledging very privileged position to be in, not everyone has access to that kind of technology all the time. But for us, it really did work. And I think moving forward, any friend of whether you are chronically ill, or whether you have a friend that's chronically ill, just or or elderly, or, you know, has a underlying condition, you just have to be more respectful of their boundaries, and also open to challenging why you might like be mad at them. When I was in college, I would have a couple of friends, and they, (laughs) or I did have a couple of friends, a certain group, and they literally were like stop being so lame like why did you turn into this like lame person and I I literally kid you not like all of these stories about the way that people treat me at the time I was not outspoken I was not a person that like really stood up for myself I just kind of brushed it off and was like eh, I don't really care But looking back, I'm like, wow, that's effed up. Like, why didn't I challenge somebody who was my friend at the time? Like, they had no right to be calling my calling me lazy, because I didn't want to go out and party. Um, And that was really, really, really frustrating, I think, because I took it as like, oh, my friends just like, don't give a shit about me, which I mean, that's like kind of what happened. So I don't regret it, but I had to set a boundary with myself and just say, if certain people are treating me that way, that I can't allow that in my life. I can't allow that in my workflow. It's not sustainable for me mentally. It's not sustainable for me emotionally. So I'm going to just get myself out of there. And back to that whole heartbreak thing of, a, of losing a friend, it is extremely difficult to let go of somebody who you've had great memories with, but as you are doing your audit and you're remembering all of the memories that you had with this one person, even though your values changed, you still have those amazing memories, right? But the reason why something didn't work out is it's not a coincidence. Like you were supposed to have them so that you could experience a certain amount of things so that it would lead you either away or closer to that friend um, and to where you are today. So I, I truly do think everything happens for a reason and certain friends are destined to do what they're going to do and whether you're a part of that or not. I personally think having love for those people regardless is very important. I think it you should just try to move through life with with love and I think Gen Zers do this. We also Unfortunately, I don't know where the idea of cancel culture came from. It seems in a way that it came from the newsroom, in my opinion, Um, starting with publications like the New York Post and the Daily Mail. I don't know exactly what causes them to want to just make people feel bad and like provide all of this nasty commentary on people. But I think because Gen Zers are consuming so many ads on Snapchat and, um, you know, people are looking at Twitter so much, that's where those stories succeed. And it has that viral kind of popcorn effect where one thing goes off about this person and then another person related and so on and so forth. And somebody liked something that was really messed up. And I think it's important to kind of call people out when they have done something messed up but I also think it's important to let those people own up to what they've done and apologize or make a statement on it and then after that implement a freaking change I think the biggest problem with cancel culture is the fact that people get canceled and then they make a notes page apology they post it on their social media pages and after that what happens Nothing changes. A couple months later, very similar thing happens to either an influencer, the same influencer or an influencer adjacent to them. And 
Gen Z does not want to see one another treated this way. A hundred percent, no. Um, everyone that I've talked to is how can you have a healthy relationship with social media when you're scared you're going to get canceled? That was like, literally, I was on a call yesterday from like a 16 year old, right? So that's not really healthy at all. And I feel like we didn't really hear much about this. Um, I think I would say like, you know, millennial generations and up, like thinking back, I'm like, okay, we had those like magazines where, you know, they had all those quizzes on the back and it's all their like scratch and sniff magazines. I forget what they were called. Um, but those magazines weren't dumping on people. I think that was mainly in like tabloids that they were dumping on real public figures. Now that we have influencers who are also like celebrities and dating celebrities and actors and actresses, it just gives us a wider margin to criticize people. And it's got to stop. Um, I personally don't think as a user who is not involved, like with as, as a social media user, um, like all of you, you're on here right now, like whatever you are consuming on social media, whether that is looking at cancel culture or you're looking at like an influencer's um, content who you don't like, if you know, we're taught this in literally kindergarten, if you don't have anything nice to say, do not say it. And that's the problem with people. They are saying all of these really nutty things that I don't think people would ever have the heart to actually say to somebody face to face or like that somebody might ask somebody at a press conference or a junket. And I think that that is, again, one of the bigger problems with social media and the way that we portray our self-image and the way that we're kind of dealing with our personalities online versus who we actually are in real life. And with that, I'm going to end episode four. Thank you all so much for listening to me. I hope you enjoyed. Seriously, if you have any other questions, I'm going to stay on um, for the next like seven minutes and answer any questions bring you all up but thank you again this was amazing and uh yeah gg out i seriously appreciate all of you coming in here and um uh listening to my show i hope you liked it i really appreciate it you're very sweet but with that said thank you and good night everyone this has been so amazing. I really appreciate it. Goodbye.